what up y'all it is your girl kelly howard here on kelly talks etc um i am really really excited about today's guest so i'm not even gonna wait i'm gonna jump right in as i've been talking about prior to is doing a, a antidepressant in blacks episode so i'm really really excited to have this mental health activist on the phone and or advocate and a poet and she is an amazing woman and very inspiring and she is going to talk to us about not only her experiences but other things that she's encountered dealing with uh, mental health and um, antidepressants and blacks and I held just in general I guess it's not really a color thing but specifically we want to talk about why blacks are so rejecting towards antidepressants. So without further ado, uh, I would like to introduce to you guys Basi Ikpi. So Ikpi, I'm sorry, I-K-P-I. <laughs> um, hey, how are you? I'm great, how are you? I'm good, I'm really, really good. Uh, I'm so mad I wasn't able to get to DC to interview you personally. I, I really, really wanted to get to meet you. That would have been so great. Um, but we will do what we can with what we have. So tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a writer, poet. Um, I think the, the deaf poetry stuff is what people would probably know more. Um, and I'm a mental health advocate, a founder and spokesperson for the Seaway Project, which is a which is an organization um, that promotes uh, mental health awareness in order to fight stigma in the global Black community. So, okay. So, to my understanding, you're not from America, right? You were born in you were born in Nigeria. I was born in Nigeria, but I was raised I was raised uh, in Oklahoma, actually. Oh, cool. do you ever go back home at all to Nigeria? Yeah, uh, um, yeah. I actually, the last three years, um, uh, I've been going back and forth trying to get some do some work um, uh, around art and uh, mental health. I was going back and forth, and then I got back last October in America for a year um, with no plans to go back. Really? Yeah. Why is that? Why, why do you not have any plans to go back? Um, it's not an easy place. Uh, there's a lot going on there that makes it uh, difficult for, for uh, to get things accomplished. There's a lot of infrastructure problems, um, even in the, uh, you know, TV, art, um, people are making a lot of inways, but I think it's difficult for, it was difficult for me um, to step into the space. Uh, there's just, uh, like I said, a lot of infrastructure problems, a lot of people um, who are accustomed to doing things one way and aren't really open to, um, you know, more innovative ways of doing things. So it was, a, it was a matter of frustration, and that level of frustration was taking a toll on my, um, on my emotional and mental health. Um, and actually, I went to Nairobi in the middle of it, uh, at the, towards the end of it. And Nairobi, you know how when you, when you take yourself out of a stressful situation, you don't realize how much stress you are actually under because you sort of get, you know, your body is adaptable. Your body is designed to protect you. So you sort of get used to the chaos and used to the stress, even though it's taking a toll on your, on you um, in ways you may not notice. So when I went to Nairobi, um, I was supposed to be there for 10 days, and the first show ended up being there for six weeks, and I realized, I felt my body sort of relaxed, and I felt my body uh, fall into um, a more relaxed state and a less 
And that's when I realized that being in Lagos specifically was, was, was bad for my health. So I flew back to Lagos, and two days later, I flew back to America. And I was like, you know what, it's not a safe space for me, so. Wow. Yeah. Then you have to be pretty self-aware to have realized that uh, that your body ha- was starting to form to a certain type of normality. Wow. Yeah, I, um, one of one of the things that um, I, I've, been, I've, I've I've had an official diagnosis um, since 2004, uh, and because of the kind of person that I am, um, and also because I'm so hyper aware of how my mental state and my emotions may affect other people. So I try really hard to sort of think, I've developed over time ways to um, to check myself, basically, um, if, I, if I'm feeling a little bit odd, or if I'm feeling like maybe I'm not okay, um, I, 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 I've developed enough, um, enough tools and enough skills to... To, to catch myself, my, my psychiatrist actually, um, you know, tells me that I'm one of the most self-aware patients he's ever seen, and it's because, um, so I, you know, most times you have to see a psychiatrist once a month, I see him like once every three or four months, um, and I can, you know, call him and say, listen, um, my mood is dipping, I think I need to up my, my meds, or um, I'm not sleeping, so I think I need to take them down again, or I'm feeling really anxious, like I'm, I'm, I'm able to sort of pinpoint those things and, and make sure that I that I, I get um, where I need to be. I mean, it's not, it's not, um, it's not foolproof. Like, I, I have moments where I'm in it and I don't even realize that I've fallen so far in it. Um, and that's the nature of the beast. That's, that's, that's how, you know, that's how it, it stays tricky. Um, it, 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 it keeps you on your toes. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure people know that. Right kind of like once you start spiraling you don't even know until you're too far down right exactly yeah exactly. That's, so what were you what were you diagnosed with uh specifically uh, my, my my specific diagnosis uh is um rapid cycle mixed episode bipolar 2 disorder wow. and then over the last year or so we've added um anxiety to that huh now how what what made them or better yet, what made you seek uh, professional help? What made you say like something ain't right, and I need to, I need to do something? Was that uh, like? Well, I, 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 I have a, um, I have a, um, I've had for as long as I remember uh, felt that something wasn't. Um, I don't want to say normal because normality is as well, but I, I wasn't like other kids. Um, not in a way that was isolating. Like, I had friends, I had, you know, activities, I was, you know, normal in that sense. Um, but I was also very emotional. Um, I was very moody. Um, I was also, I also took things very hard. Um, uh, and, and I internalized a lot. I don't know, I don't know how old you are, but when I was um, in elementary school, uh, the Challenger exploded, which is the, um, it was a, um, it was a, um, a space shuttle that had, like, the first teacher, um, to go into space, and we all, like, watched it in our classroom, and it was a big deal, and 
we watched it explode. And, you know, everyone was shocked. Like, I remember my teacher breaking down in tears, the entire class was weeping and, 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 and having a really difficult time. But, you know, eventually they got over it. Like, not got over it, but eventually, you know, it, it wore off. Like, you know, after a week or two, people weren't as traumatized. I was traumatized. I, I felt responsible. I was like, maybe what could have been done? Maybe if I hadn't done this, maybe something like that would have happened. Um, and it, it just it was like, that was my first sort of experience with what I know now to be depression. Um, and then also I was very hyperactive and I didn't sleep as much as people needed to sleep. I'd stay up. 24 hours, um, like in the fourth grade. Uh, oh, wow. I was a big reader, so I was reading, um, so no one really saw it as a problem. They just thought I liked to read, which I did. I, I loved to read, but I sh- no kid should be awake for 24 hours. Like, that, that's not how it's supposed to be. Um, but it was college when I realized, okay, there's something not okay. Like, I can't leave my dorm. I'm crying all the time. Uh, my grades are terrible because I can't go to class um that's when I realized that they were something but again I didn't have the language for it and it wasn't and I went to go see a school counselor she was unhelpful um and I just you know kind of dealt with it until I moved to New York and um in 2003 I was added to the cast of maybe it was 2002 I was added to the cast of Death Poetry jam they were on tour we went on tour we're in scotland for about a month in august then we came and we did the u.s tour so i was touring all over the place and touring took a toll on me um because i uh that that sort of different city different hotel just about every night um i didn't have what i what i realized was the way that i sort of dealt with my um undiagnosed uh mental health issues was that when I was depressed, I would just stay inside and sleep. Or, right. you know, I'd just stay in and cry and do whatever I need to do until it passed. And then when I was feeling better, I would run around and I would do all the stuff that, you know, um, uh, uh, that I, I didn't do or I wasn't doing um, when I was depressed. And I anticipated a depression coming, so I made sure that I was prepared. So I had this, like, little system set up. Um, you can't do that on tour because no matter how you feel, you have to be you know, at rehearsal, you have to be uh, backstage by seven, you have to be on stage at eight, you have to, like, there's certain things that you have to do. Um, so I, I didn't have the luxury of of, 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 of of manipulating things in order to, 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 um, to uh, help where I was. Um, and so I remember clearly happened to be in, in, in Chicago. Um, I, I was usually able to, like, stop crying long enough to get dressed and go to the theater and do, you know, put on my makeup and do the show and then come back and literally lay back on the floor in the hotel room and cry some more. Um, but we were in Chicago and I was unable to do that. Like, I could not stop crying no matter what I did. And uh, I remember walking the theater. It was January. Was it January? I think it was January. It was January in, in Chicago. So it was freezing cold <laughs> yeah. and um yeah it was so cold and I remember like you know, I couldn't I, I couldn't find my shoes and I didn't want to freak out because of that so I put on some like flip flops and um and like I didn't have a coat and I was just walking to the theater I get to the theater and I'm trying to put my makeup on and I just start crying and I can't stop crying um and then um 
I I remember, and I'm not sure how it happened, but I remember sort of crawling underneath the sink in my in my dressing room um, and just curled in the fetal position because I was just trying to hold it all together, like physically find a way to hold myself mentally and emotionally together. Wow. And that was like a tight space. Um, it wasn't as open as the entire room. And uh, the wardrobe lady came in to get me my clothes and she saw me and she was the cage manager who had already pulled me aside in Atlanta um, and asked me if I was okay because I was losing a lot of weight. I wasn't hanging out with the crew or cast. I was, you know, spending a lot of time with myself. I wasn't eating. Um, and I told her, like, you know, I had a, my ex-boyfriend lives in Chicago. I think I told her, oh, we broke up and I'm upset about that. And I wasn't really, I mean, I was, but that wasn't why. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, so Chicago because it had a lot of memories that were good and not so good, and because I was already in a depressive state, it just triggered a worse one. And, um, yeah, they sent me home um, the next day, uh, and Alice sent me with a bunch of numbers. Um, I didn't want to call them, but she, I was afraid. Like, I didn't know what was going on. This is the worst I've been. Um, I finally ended up going. I saw three, maybe four doctors in one day. And um, I did the thing where you lie because you don't want the truth. So I was like, oh, I'm okay. I just need to sleep more. Oh, I'm okay. I just need to eat more. So I walked away with, like, one doctor told me I had um, fear of success or something. Another one told me I was anorexic. And they were like, no, I wasn't. Like, yeah, I didn't give them And then, like, the third one, I was exhausted. I was like, listen, I'm going to lie because I don't want whatever it is you're going to tell me I have. And I know it's something wrong with me but I, I I don't I don't know so I told her the whole truth she made a call to a psychiatrist to a therapist um she said I think I know what's going on but I, I can't diagnose you officially so can you go like right now and go see the psychiatrist went to go see him he had me like he asked me a bunch of questions had me fill out a questionnaire and by the end of it he said it sounds like you have bipolar too um disorder and based on how quickly you cycle through mood um, it's rapid cycling and also mixed episodes which is why um, I could be depressed and then unable to sleep at the exact same time when usually it's one or the other um, so wow. uh, by the third person you were like I just can't take this anymore and, yeah. and I need to let you know that I, I know I need help I just don't want to face it that is very self aware how old were you when that happened I was 27, 26, 27. 26, 27. And so after you realized that this was this, did they immediately start treatment after you saw the psychiatrist? Um, yes. Uh, because I, 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 I actually just wrote about this in the book. Um, it had a name. It was a thing that existed. Cool. Um, I, I, my plan was to take medication, see doctors for six months, and I'd be cured. Like, um, I really thought it was like antibiotics. Wherever, cool. It's an infection. Uh, take some medication, see the doctors, and then I should be cool for about six months. And uh, that was surely not the case. And so you found yourself going back and forth after. Because would you wean yourself off? Is that how it... How you noticed you uh, needed what it again? Was that I? It took a it took a little bit of time for um, 
for the for, for me to find the right cocktail of medication. I went through a bunch of side effects. Um, it might have taken me maybe two months until we figured out what the best cocktail was. Um, because I was very, again, I I was very clear about what it is that I I, I was okay with and what I wasn't okay with. Um, we had a medication. Um, there was a mood stabilizer uh, that would literally knock me out eight hours. Like, I was so, like, I'd be lousy. I couldn't keep my eyes open. I would just get asleep for 20 hours. That's wow. okay. I, I have, a, you know, I have 20, that shit to do. I can't be asleep for 20 hours, and I can't be groggy for the four hours that I am awake. Right. Um, uh, so that didn't work. Um, there was a medication that uh, gave me a form of OCD um, where I would, uh, I couldn't sleep until, like, my clothes were organized. Um, I couldn't sleep unless, like, you know, the house was spotless or my apartment in Brooklyn was spotless. That's not me. I'm a 100% slob. I'm a mess. <laughs> I will, you know, Openly admit it. my clothes, leave them there until Sunday when I decide maybe I should pick up. Um, so it was, I didn't want anything that changed me. So my, I was like, this is not my personality. Um, I don't want to change my personality. I want to feel better, and that's, those are two different things for me. Um, so we went through this whole system, and then finally we found, and I, I also didn't want to gain weight. That was really important to me um, because of the nature of what I do. And, and, and just, I mean, I, I wanted to gain the weight that I'd lost to get to a healthy weight, but I didn't want my weight to balloon um, because, because of, you know, the nature of my work. Um, it was, I feel like it would trigger a depression if I wasn't able to fit into my clothes or if I wasn't able to like the way I looked on camera or, or whatever. Right. Uh, so once we narrowed down the stuff that I didn't want, we were able to pick from a smaller pool of things that were available. Um, and then we finally found the perfect cocktail, which is Wellbutrin, Lamictal, and Ambien, um, especially. And uh, the moment when, when, when the meds started working was like this amazing, like, And I stopped taking the medication, and I um, spiraled out, 
uh, I came, I, the dates are really weird in my mind, but I know, oh yeah, it was definitely the fall because by November, at end of October, um, I, I'd gone so far down, um, a lot of things had happened, you know, very detailed, uh, and I ended up being, having to be hospitalized for the first time for depression, um, which was late October of 2004, I remember because I was in the hospital when George W. Bush was reelected. Um, so I, I remember that clearly. So it was just definitely October, November. Um, and I was uh, diagnosed in the hospital with what they call passive suicidality, um, which means that, you know, there's suicidal ideation, but it's not active. So I wasn't planning on taking pills. I wasn't planning on you know, I wasn't planning on committing suicide or taking my life, but I also wasn't committed to the, to the act of living. Um, so it's basically you lose the will to live. So I stopped eating, stopped sleeping. Uh, I sort of just was waiting, like, for my body to give up and I'd be done. Um, so that's, that's the, the diagnosis when I was in the hospital the first time. Um, so I feel like I've... I, I, talked a lot. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 absolutely. You've given, uh, wow, a great deal of information and yeah, very self-aware because it seemed like you were making a lot of decisions for yourself. You know, it's usually like your family telling you like what's wrong, what's happening, but you were like something ain't right yeah. with me. I need to fix this. Um, yeah. That's pretty powerful. So how, how does your family feel? Does your family support your decisions to, um, you know, take medication for your because I know that my mom, when I started taking antidepressants, was like completely against it. And, you know, kept trying to throw prayer on me and all these other ways of dealing with it that I had tried year after year that did not work for me. So what what do they think about, you know, your plan? Um, my parents, my family have been, uh, I... I, I ridiculously supportive um once because I, like I said I've always just been a kind of uh, un, uneasy to pin down kind of kid um uh I, I I was a smart kid and I got you know great good great really good grades in high school um not really great but you know good grades in high school and, and a lot of that was because I, I didn't sleep so when I didn't sleep I would and I would read, literally read, like, my history books from cover to cover, or I would read, you know, whatever English books we were supposed to read for the entire semester, I'd read in, like, a week. Wow. Um, so when it was time to take the test or write the, uh, or write the paper, I, 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 I could do it. Like, I didn't, you know, I, I had frustrations, but I could, I could do it. Um, there was a week in my, my last semester of high school, senior year, where I kind of completely broke down. But... Uh, when I went to college, I like I, I walked out of college my first semester was zero point zero. I didn't go to class. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do any work. I, I didn't know how to because you know in college you can't read all the books. Like you can't do that. It's not. Right. It's not possible. Um, so they knew there was a problem then, but they thought it was like drugs or you know I was being promiscuous. I was a virgin forever. Um, <laughs> uh, I didn't do drugs. I wasn't drinking. Um, so they, you know, but they made that assumption because it was the first time I was away from home. But I actually chose the college I chose because I felt like, like 
there's something wrong with me. And if I'm going to have a, a if I'm going to go crazy, quote unquote, um, I need to be close enough to home where I can come home. And I, it wouldn't be a difficult thing. Like if I went to California or UCLA, if I went to Spelman, or if I went to all these other schools that were or NYU, it'd be too far. Right. So if I was falling apart, I wouldn't, it would take too much for me to get home. So I went to um, a school in Baltimore, which is like just 45 minutes away. It was far enough where I could live on campus, but close enough where I could where I could go home and people could get to me if or get me home if necessary um, without a lot of without a lot of drama. And um, so you know, fast forward, I, I left college and, and I moved to New York. Um, I didn't graduate. Uh, and you know, when I was diagnosed, um, my father specifically, um, God bless him, he he took it really hard um, because when he read the list of symptoms, he could pinpoint, you know, parts like, okay, when you were nine, this happened, when you were 10, I remember this, and so he felt really bad because he didn't suspect. He, he didn't, didn't get the signs, yeah. Wrong. And it's like, you don't, you can't, you don't know, like, you, you can't, uh, you can't, um, can't blame yourself for, for, for not knowing something exists. Yeah. Like, you didn't know, like, I've never heard of it, so you never heard of it, so it makes sense. Um, my mother ironically um, has a psych degree and she's a nurse but she didn't even it didn't cross her mind that I mean that, that might be something that was that was going on with me um, but once they did they were they were very supportive of me getting the help and treatment that I needed um, uh, my, my, my mom specifically isn't thrilled that I talk about it so much that I'm so off, you know, so so open about it, and um, she wasn't then. I mean, now uh, she she's she's a bit better with it. Um, so they never discourage me from taking medication, never, ever, ever, ever. Um, do you feel that's because uh, your parents are educated? Like, they're educated okay. people? I said, do you feel like that's because your parents are educated people, having went to college? No, because I, I, I know plenty of people who, who have college-educated, middle, upper-class, you know, African Americans, Africans um, whose parents do not, you know, I, I get those emails and messages all the time. My parents won't let me take or my parents don't want me to. Um, and I think it's because of the stigma that goes along with it. Which is uh, what? People make a lot of assumptions about what it means when you're on medication. Um, people aren't convinced, no matter how much science they know or, or read, that it's 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 a it's a medical condition and not just a uh, oh she's lazy oh he just has a bad attitude oh you know it's just really a chemical imbalance exactly so there's, there's like you know my coworker's an asshole you know my boss is a bitch like you don't really know the way that these things manifest in people so it's very very easy um, because it is about personality and it is about emotional and mental whatever it's, it's very easy to sort of decide it's something else. Right. You know, you're just being lazy. That's why you can't get out of bed when, you know, or you're just sensitive, which is why you can't stop crying. It's, all, it's always just something um, without sort of attaching it to, you know, it's like, you know, it's like saying, oh, it's just a cold. Um, meanwhile, it's pneumonia. And they know it's pneumonia, but they want to just talk about the cold. or the. It, it's not really understanding or wanting to. And, um, and the reason is because there's a lot of stigma. There always is stigma. Um, so, uh, 
chip away at the stigma that exists in the black community um, is something that's really, really important to me because it's, it's deadly. It, it, if you don't, um, if you ignore it, this is how people die. You know, this is how people uh, uh, live miserable lives. You know, most of our prisons, most of our homeless people um, are, 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 are folks who are living with um, undiagnosed mental health issues. And if it was, if it was more of a conversation, um, our, our jails wouldn't be as full as they are with, with, with black people. Um, the homeless on the street would, wouldn't be as prevalent. Um, if, they'd be if, able to seek proper care. To take care of them mental health the way that they're encouraged to take care of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it is a huge um, stigma definitely surrounding um, mental health medication. And that's so true when you think about homeless people and you think about some of the people that you see out here on the streets and they usually are mentally not there. It's usually something going on yeah. mental with them. Like they're not just like... Yeah. You know, somebody you would normally just bump into and talk to and have a decent conversation. Like, their conversations are distorted from reality in so many ways. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of these people either are thrown out or, or leave. Um, like I said, a lot of violent, uh, so, so to speak, uh, so to call, uh, violent offenders. Um, because a lot of these things, like, depression isn't just sitting around crying. Um, sometimes it's just sort of moving in slow motion through your life. Sometimes it comes out as anger because you're confused as to what you're feeling. And if anger is, is, is the way that you've been taught to express yourself, it comes out in anger and it comes out in violence. Um, so a, a, a lot of people just need to, no, I don't want to say just, I don't want to oversimplify, but um, a lot of things could be curbed if, 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 if people were, uh, were looking at mental health and not just, you know, societal problems or whatever. What do you think could help? What, like, what are you doing to make this a more of an awareness in, like, inner cities and black, you know, in black neighborhoods or black families, rather, black households? Like, what, what are you doing specifically to spread that message? Because I feel like that's a very uh, difficult thing. That's a, that's a hard task to, to take on because people are so stuck in their beliefs and you know I think it I mean this is a personal opinion obviously but a lot of it is rooted in religion and and that you know God will take care of it for you just pray about it I get that a lot just pray yeah. about it my family's a huge just pray about it kind of family and it's like yeah, yeah I've done that <laughs> I mean that's the thing like people people say pray about it and, and I'm like if you think or if I thought for one second that just pray number one can't to assume that I haven't tried that is, is, is insulting because um, you haven't lived in this in this body or or, or in this brain uh, or in the spirit. You you don't know what I've tried. Um, so and, and, and for any moment I thought that you know trading it away was, was was something that would work. I would literally live in a church. I would be praying every second of every day but clearly that's not what it is and I'm not saying faith isn't important uh, it's absolutely important in how you you sort of face stress and triggers and things like that um, and it's not just Christian faith like I 
a compliment to medical medical care. So to expect people to only rely on faith or only rely on whatever else people have said in the past um, is dangerous and it's harmful. And uh, I do my best um, to to do a couple of things. Um, One of the biggest things that I do is sort of combat stigma. Um, and with combating stigma is, is, is defying stereotypes. So there's a stereotype of what somebody with um, a mental illness, no matter what it is, looks like, dresses like, acts like. Uh, there are a bunch of misconceptions because they're, like I said, these symptoms um, manifest themselves in different ways, um, in ways that I'm still learning about myself. Like just recently I learned that um, there, there, there are moments when I have low-grade depression where I'm not crying all the time and I'm not particularly miserable. I'm just cloudy and foggy and I can't, you know, I, I, I go through my entire day and I can't remember what I did. Um, or I'm not motivated to do anything but, like, sit in bed and, and watch YouTube videos all day, um, which can be okay, but not if it's... I'm like, damn, is that a version of depression? <laughs> I was like, I'm I mean, clearly that. <laughs> it can be because it, 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 it's basically something that um, disrupts or changes the quality of your life. Right. So if I'm supposed to be working um, and I can't bring myself to work, all I can do is, 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 you know, maybe for a day taking a break or two days taking a break, but if it's like two or three weeks um, and you're barely getting out of bed um, and there's nothing wrong with you but you're really not living the life or living your life, then that's something to look into. That, 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 that's problematic. Um, just going back a little bit to the stigma part, um, I'm, I'm very conscious and cognizant of the way that I present. That is not to say, oh, there's nothing wrong with her because she you know, put on lipstick today or she put on whatever, but it says that you can't look at me and know what I'm going through. Right. You know, when I walk, I walk out of the house or when I do an interview or if I'm, and, and it, for me, it's, 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 it's really important because I'm by no means famous or trying to even claim fame, but I, I have a bit of a higher profile um, than I guess the average person because of my line of work. Like, I'm on stage, and I'm on TV and, uh, you know, in magazines and stuff like that. So so I'm highly, I'm more visible, I should say, um, than, than the average than, person, than, like yeah. a nurse or, 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 or a receptionist. Absolutely. So how I myself as somebody who is visible and who lives with a mental illness um, is that I say, this is the thing that I live with. This is the thing that I have. It's not who I am. It's not something I suffer from. Like, I'm very, very, very clear about the word that I use. I don't say suffer from. For me, suffering from means that I'm not getting treatment. It means that I'm not getting help. And And I'm actually suffering from this thing. Thanks for tuning in. We've reached the end of part one of Bossy Ikpe's interview. I will be uploading part two, December 9th, and then part three, a couple of days after that. It is a very heavy, emotional interview with a lot of content. I want to make sure that everybody can truly receive what's being said. Mental health uh, issues are not discussed very often in a black community. It is a terrible stigma that we have. 
around that subject and I think it's very, very necessary. So I'm super psyched that we have somebody that's willing to share their story and that is open. And yeah, I hope you guys tune in for the next two episodes. I've been your host, Carol Yay. That's just really how it's spelled. It's Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y-E Howard, and this is Kelly Talks ETC. Deuces.